The Fake Show podcast is brought to you by the law firm of Hutchison and Stefan, the Tone Factory recording studios in Las Vegas, the Craft House Brewery, Moonshot.com, Mr. Antenna, and Banger Brewing in downtown Las Vegas. We're coming to the club. We don't matter. We're just trying to go where the ladies is at. We don't give a damn. I'm in the club one night. Dude walked by me. I said, look at them damn boots. I said, well, yeah, look at them damn boots. I don't be in this brother business, man. Look at them damn boots. I thought the brother had bought a pair of rollerblades and broke off the damn wheels. I said, this brother recycling. Ain't none of my business, but man, all I'm saying is this. If you're gonna break off the wheels, at least take all the screws off the damn things. You tear that club up. It's The Fake Show with Jim Tofty. That is stand-up from the awesome Curb Your Enthusiasm star J.B. Smoove, best known for his portrayal of Leon Black on Curb and a ton of other things now. Please welcome, from his home in Los Angeles, J.B. Smoove. What up, Jim? J.B., how are you doing, buddy? How are you holding up during these strange times? Man, you know what? I'm just putting my dukes up, man, and I'm boxing, I'm gonna box my way out of the corner, man. That's what we all gotta. That's all you gotta think. All we gotta do is think like a boxer, man. <laughs> right. You know, and you just get you. It got you in the corner, man. You gotta box your way out, man. You just gotta be patient, man. You gotta almost rope a dope. I'm gonna pull a page from uh, the great Muhammad Ali. You gotta rope <laughs> a dope a little bit, you know. <laughs> you gotta rope a dope, man. By the way, congratulations on yet another great season of Curb Your Enthusiasm. How did it come to be that you would work with Larry David on the show? Oh man, this this it's it's a uh, it's one of those things where you become. I think I think you plant seeds throughout your life for, for the things you want to see. When that seed finally turns into a, a plant or a tree, and um, you know I was a big fan of the show, man. Before I got on that show, man, and. Uh, had this unique opportunity to uh, to get on it, man. It just it was a window of opportunity, actually, man. You know, uh, from watching the show, from my wife telling me I would be on, you know, me telling her how much I loved it, and she's saying you'll be on that show one day. To a buddy of mine passing away in L.A., which allowed me to come to L.A. for one day, for me not being renewed on SNL. All these things had to happen in order for me to be free and open and and be in L.A. for one day and having to walk in that audition. You know, everything was brand new. I had a new agent. I fired my old agent, got a new agent. You know, I, you know, all these things had to happen, man. My buddy passes away. I come to L.A. for one day, and next thing you know, I'm in a room with Larry, man, you know, improvising directly with him. And, you know, it happened. You know, I couldn't I couldn't have written it that, that way. Yeah. For some reason, I wasn't surprised it happened because I just felt like, you know, my thinking – my love for the show, how I perform, you know, I improv, I, I, I would improv a lot in my stand-up. And for me, it was just like somehow I was preparing myself for curbs for some reason. I can't help but think like that because it just, everything lined up so, you know, perfectly that all I had to do was hit the ball, you know. It's just like a, I just ended up where I, where, I, where I didn't know I would be there like that, but in that form, but when it started falling into place, it allowed me to just say I was supposed to be here already. I believe that you you had known Richard Lewis before this. No, I didn't know Richard either. I didn't know Richard until I got on the show. But we're all New Yorkers, but I didn't even I didn't even know Richard. I was a big fan of Richard's. I would listen to him all the time. He'd be a guest on the Howard Stern show. And I was, I was a fan of all this stuff, man. I just listened to Howard Stern on AM radio. You know, I just watched all the I watched Curve from when Curve first came out, you know. 
I, I, you know, all these things are crazy. I was, I was gonna watch Richard perform, you know, but we all, I mean, in some, in some way, we all ended up in some of the same comedy clubs, you know, Richard in New York especially. So, all this, all this, all this had to, like, everybody who I loved, I ended up working with, you know, and even, um, even, uh, Jeff, Jeff Gallen, I know he's a Chicago guy, but all these are people who, uh, you know, I ran into at some point. You know, even though we didn't perform together, we knew of our existence. That's one thing about comedians. Even though we don't, we, we know each other from the circuit, and we know each other because we, because we all do the same thing. But sometimes you don't necessarily have to know the person personally. We just know, know, know the work. You know, and I'll see comedians in the airport I've never worked with before. But we know of each other, and we'll just stop and say, hey, hey, you know. You do such a variety of things now, from guest spots, commercials, and now you're part of this huge new app that is launching called Quibi. What show are you a part of on this? I'm on the Mapleworth Murders, which I got a chance to, you know, and that's what I mean by all these seeds you plant, you know, you meet people, you work with people. And these are with uh, Paula Pell and John Lutz. Um, they're they're uh, folks... They're actors I worked with on uh, SNL. I was at SNL. Yeah. We were all writers on the show. And, but, but we're also writer-performers. You know, uh, John was in a bunch of stuff, and Paul, me and Paula, we, we were in a bunch of stuff. We did a bunch of monologues together. We played the, the, the couple who always stand up in the, in, the, in the audience doing the monologues and ask crazy questions. And that was when I was a writer on SNL, so I got a chance to reconnect with these guys. They had a they had a show called uh, the Mapleworth Murders, and it got a chance to it's like a a a, a murder she wrote type of show, right? Anyway, and um, you know, really funny show. Got a chance to work with them on it. Um, actually, I got a chance to split the difference between working on that show and working on uh, the last OG. So I was flying back and forth between LA and New York, back and forth doing both shows, and and you know I've been. You know, I can't complain about anything, man. I got a, I get a chance to to do what I love, man. Like you said, the commercials, the movies, the TV shows, and you know, and um, I think I think uh, this is the fun part about what we do and what we give to folks. And I think this is a perfect time to, uh, you know, sit still and and be inspired and, and laugh a little bit. You know, I think that that's the best of being a comedian. And by the way, JB, I'm I'm actually talking to uh, the head honcho of Quibi, Jeffrey Katzenberg, soon. Any messages for him? Oh yeah, you tell him that uh, you know I'm I'm on the Mapleworth murders, but that does not mean we can't do a, a some cool a cool JB show. Why not? Be cool. <laughs> and you're also working on the last OG with uh, Tracy Morgan. How fun is that working with Tracy? Man, it's so fun, man. You know, we have a history, man. We uh. We worked together in, in, in New York, you know, uh, we started out in the same comedy club called Uptown Comedy Club in Harlem. Um, I was there maybe a year before he got there. And then, um, I remember his first time, uh, stepping on stage actually. So to see his, 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 the work he's put in, you know, from the SNL to 30 Rock to movies to stand up tours and stand up specials to his, you know, um, accident he that they got into and yeah coming back from that him coming back from that and resuming his career man that that's a that's a challenge man and um i'm, I'm happy to see him here you know um as well as all my guys who were 
you know, involved with that accident. And um, we lost one of our buddies, our good friends, uh, Mr. Jimmy Mack. Um, but, you know, we all started together, man. And, um, you know, so happy to see his success. And um, um, every time we would see each other, he would say, come to, you know, come to my show and play. And that's what we call it when we, we as comedians, see each other and we have a show. And that's what makes the show work is you get a chance to work uh, with each other. And that's what uh, the last OG opportunity is for me is to come and play with Tracy. And uh, man, we, we had a great time, great time doing this show, man. And um, I can't wait for everyone to see this season because I think what the show does is, you know, there are, there, there are these comedies that are uh, – every comedy is different. And this show is – I don't consider it just a comedy because uh, the producers, the writers, Tracy, uh, they found a way to tap into it, – it's very hard to joke about a person who spent 15 years in jail and gets out and his life has changed. He's trying to catch up to life. But they found a way right. to make it funny. They found a way to get the heart. Was, I think we, we need a balance of all this right now because of everything we're going through right now with this uh, pandemic. But I think we need a balance of all all these things. We need a balance of drama, uh, uh, heartfelt moments, and you know, a balance of the funny. Before I let you go, because I know you're short of time, is it too early to tell if there's going to be a season 11 of, of Curb Your Enthusiasm? Oh, my gosh, man. I don't know, man. <laughs> man. Larry is the captain. You know, Larry, he'll sit home and he'll think of, he'll look at everything that's going on in the world. And I'll tell you something, that guy is a, a genius, man. He finds a way to make everything make sense all in a curb form. Yeah. No, man. This is so a lot going on right now. So, you know, I, you know, we'll say, man, what Larry, what Larry, what Larry thinks, man. If he has anything to come back and do another season, but but when I first met Larry, I told Larry, I said, think about your your finishing number, man. What do you think that uh, you know, you have a favorite number? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe 20. J.B. Smoove on The Last OG with Tracy Morgan and the new platform, Quibi. Good luck, man, and stay healthy. I will, man. You stay pretty healthy, too, man. I'm hoping my uh, my, my performance at the win is still, still going to work out, man. I'll be in Vegas at some point, and I'll uh, be That sounds good. Great talking to you, buddy. Later, man. Later. I can't sleep at my house because some pigeons moved onto the balcony. At my house, it's a ledge, but I call it a balcony. <laughs> Put a chair there. It's also not a house, irrelevant. And they have pigeon sex. Like all the time. Yeah, you think it's funny. It would be fine if it sounded like pigeons, but it doesn't. That's what's so frustrating and disturbing. It's very disconcerting. Three in the morning, you're dead asleep. You wake up to this, you're just like, that is the wonderful Eliza Schlesinger, who's doing all kinds of things now, including movies. She's got a new sketch show on Netflix and a bunch of other specials. Let's check in now with Eliza Schlesinger. Eliza, good morning to you. How are you and your family doing at this point? We are doing a lot better than, uh, than a lot of people. And weirdly, that perspective keeps me from going insane. Uh, <laughs> how are you doing? Uh, very good. Thank you very much. So you have no problem with just kind of being sheltered in place and all that stuff. I got a big problem with it. The problem is there's no one to voice your problem with. <laughs> We're all trying to do what's right for everyone. Uh, yeah, I got a big problem with my uh, career coming to a screeching halt. But 
we're doing what we can. We do a, a weekly, I'm sorry, we do a daily cooking show from my kitchen every day called Don't Panic Pantry. My husband's right. a chef, and so we do it as like a way of every day giving people a place to go and teach them how to use the items in their pantry so they don't have to go and leave the house. That's a great idea. So do you, are you guys going to the grocery store or do you have stuff delivered? Because I know a lot of people are doing that now. Uh, sort of neither. The idea is you do like a big shop, you know, like every week and a half. So we post an ingredient list of things you need to get. You know, we're trying to encourage people, get all your stuff at once, get back home, and then hunker down for as long as you can. Uh, and use these pantry staples. You know, it's things like beans and sauerkraut. It's not like gold leaves and lobster eyes. <laughs> yeah, something to do at 5 o'clock every day, and they can go live with us and talk to us and get cooking advice. I don't cook, uh, but I'm really good at making jokes about it and holding the camera and eating. <laughs> you were here kind of just under the wire. I know that you were at the Mirage here in Vegas. Yeah, I was there um, and I'm due to come back for the July weekend, so we're really holding our breath. Uh, my whole thing is, if the government says yes, then, like, have Mike will travel. Uh, I was there in January, and I remember it was January because I had just adopted a dog, and uh, I got a call from the staff at the MGM that apparently my dog had taken a bunch of secret poops all over the room that I couldn't, I didn't know were there. <laughs> She's invited back, but you, next time we're going to charge you. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God, totally. <laughs> well, I suppose, like a lot of people in Vegas hotels, you're marking your territory, right? Territory, I guess she had a bad night at the tables. Uh, I give her a pass. <laughs> Cute, and she's a rescue dog, and she's very well trained now. And I also give her credit for hiding these poops because I definitely did not see them. Wow, that's felt really bad about that. You are on such a roll right now. First of all, I loved you in Spencer Confidential with Mark Wahlberg. How much fun was that? It was so much fun um, getting to work with Peter Berg and Mark, and getting to be in Boston. I went to school in Boston. I love it there. Uh, I know it's wrong to say you love another town when talking to another town's radio. <laughs> He's so professional, and Winston Duke, and of course being on set with Alan Arkin, uh, and hopefully, you know, we, we were the number one movie in the country for quite some time, so hopefully we get uh, Spencer Confidential too anytime soon, because no one can leave their house, but <laughs> fingers You bring that up because uh, I know that the film is based on, there's a series of books, so there could very well be a bunch of sequels, right? I mean, it's there for the taking. Uh, there's plenty. If, if you can write that many books, you can certainly produce two movies. Uh, but people really liked it, and uh, my character Sissy, I you know I tried to make her a fun one to watch. She got to wear a lot of red, a lot of fake nails, a lot of yelling. It's every young girl's dream. And I saw you on James Corden with Mark and talking about how you were describing your sex scene and how you were maybe a little bit nervous about that one. I mean, and who wouldn't be? Uh, right. But, but yeah, you know, it's because it's, I mean, so funny. A friend of my mom's was like, what was it like watching your daughter have sex with Mark Wahlberg? She's like, that's not what we watched. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sex was very fake for him and very real for me. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we're not even naked. We're in a public bathroom. It is the trashiest thing ever, but we're fully clothed. We don't even kiss. So uh, it's really just making the noise. Uh, but it was it was nerve wracking because. You know, he's Mark Wahlberg, and, and you don't want to mess up. Like, I was like, oh, my God, don't get fired for being so bad at fake sex with, like, the world's <laughs> biggest movie star. <laughs> right. My only goal was not to get fired. <laughs> Your stand-up special, by the way, and I'm not just blowing smoke here, but unveiled. I can't remember a stand-up special that I've laughed so hard. It was really pretty impressive. I appreciate 
that. Thank you. I think it was your, what, your fifth special with Netflix? You got a good relationship, don't you? They seem to like me. Um, and yeah, so it's the fifth one. And I was on the road. The tour had just started. I was working on the sixth. And then this coronavirus just had other plans. As a, as a, as a society, we got punched in the face. And, uh, and so we're pausing all the writing for the stand-up. Speaking of writing, how do you approach that in the amount of time that it takes to come up with new material for a new special? I mean, it, because some some comedians have told me that it sometimes it takes a year, maybe even longer. Yeah, I mean, I, I write on stage, and so it's just about the more shows you do, the more practice you have. It's like if you were a bodybuilder, like the more you go to the gym, the bigger you're going to get. And I, you know, you hit mo- you hit strides where you're writing a lot, and I write on stage. I don't write at a computer, uh, so I very much need that stage time to do this. Um, and everyone's like, "Oh, are you going to write about the coronavirus?" I'm like, "Probably not," because everyone will be talking about it. Also, I don't think anybody wants to think about this again. So, um, yeah, it's it's weird. We'll see. Uh, we'll see what, what jokes I do July 4th, fingers crossed. And do you ever wonder, I mean, I don't know if there's a way to tell how many people watch that stuff on Netflix. Do they have any kind of a system where they know or do, or tell you? Uh, you know what? They don't tell you, but you can tell. Um, uh, the reason I have hashtags in all my specials is so I can sort of follow along when people use the hashtag. I can see it, so I can sort of gauge it. But you can tell by ticket sales. You know, even for Las Vegas, we're now adding a second show, and that's a very difficult town to sell tickets in if you don't have, like, a residency there. Yeah. So, I can, you know, we're doing, like, really large, like, 5,000-person theaters now. So you can see the uptick in the ticket sales, um, and I know that that's from Netflix because I wouldn't be able to do shows in Malaysia <laughs> Uh, with just a normal road <laughs> schedule. So it's got to be Netflix. And I mean, your new sketch show, the Eliza Schlesinger sketch show on Netflix, It how long has that been in the works? The trailer looks really great. Thank you. Um, so it premiered on April 1st. And I mean, it actually was in the works for about a year. You know, um, you have to put together a writer's room, which we did over the summer. And then we we shot it in Brooklyn uh, just at the beginning of the the what is it, end of, uh, end of summer, beginning of fall. And, you know, then you spend all through the holidays color correcting, editing. I think sketch shows, most comedy lives and dies in the editing room, and we were meticulous with the editing because we wanted it to be tight and awesome. Uh, so it takes about a year. It took about a year. You've got such a strong voice. I mean, obviously you chose the writers who know how to write for that. Um, yeah, you know, I did this thing when we were looking at writers. I had all their writing packets submitted and I had all the names taken off so that when I read the packet, I couldn't be, I couldn't have a preconceived notion based on gender or ethnicity or background, anything. Um, of course, in the end, I picked three other Jews because, uh, but yeah, I ended up with, uh, Two girls and a guy, uh, all of whom have written on like Portlandia and SNL and all these like major comedy shows. So right. they were great about um, about collaborating. They were awesome. The Eliza Schlesinger sketch show now streaming on Netflix. Don't Panic Pantry on IGTV and Facebook Live. And we hope to see you back here in July. Fingers crossed. It's great talking to you and, you. and you guys stay very well, won't you? Yeah, I will. I will. And please do the same. Thanks so much, Jim. 
I will. Thanks. Great to talk to you, Eliza. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks again to both of my guests, Eliza Schlesinger and J.B. Smoove. We hope to see them both on tour again very soon, especially here in Las Vegas. That does it for this Double Dose edition of The Fake Show Podcast. I'm Jim Tofty, and I'll see you back here next time. Take The Fake Show on the road by listening on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, and thefakeshow.com. 